Okay, so we're reading Ephesians 5, 1 to 20. Some great stuff. Okay. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must be not even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person, for such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always give, give thanks to God the Father of, for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, good morning, and my name's Chris, if you don't know me. Good to see you. Uh, some of you will have been expecting to see Paul Harrington here because he was down to speak for three weeks, and obviously I'm not Paul, so what's happened? Um, he's this morning at Trinity Mount Barker, so um, John Warner, who's the locum at Trinity Mount Barker, uh, pleaded uh, with me to allow Paul to go there instead. Why? Because they are a church that's now been without a pastor for a year, and some people are very anxious about this and they wanted uh, a moment to be able to speak with Paul Harrington about this. So I'm sorry you're stuck with me today, but that's, that's the reason why uh, Paul's not standing here right now. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, it's wonderful, such a privilege, uh, such a gift to be able to sit now and to um, have our minds filled with uh, your word, which we know is life and it's redemptive for us. So we ask, Heavenly Father, that by your spirit, 
you would do your work in us and help us to think your thoughts and amend our lives. And may we be set free. May we become like Christ, the true human, uh, our Lord and our Saviour. In Jesus' name, amen. So Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 says, do not get drunk on wine, instead be filled with the Spirit. Most of us can understand the first part, That's fairly clear, right? Don't get drunk on wine. It's the second half that's the tricky bit. Instead, instead, be filled with the Spirit. So if I said, um, Phil, be filled with the Spirit. Tony and Michelle, be filled. David and Kathy, be filled with the Spirit, right? Would you know what to do? Let alone what it really means. Okay, be filled with the Spirit. Does that imply that we are like um, a petrol tank in a car that needs regular topping up with, if our spiritual petrol level gets low? Is the Holy Spirit like petrol, something that gives us power and energy? Now, there's a truth there because in chapter 3, verse 16, Paul says, Paul prays that God would strengthen us with power through his spirit in our inner beings. And if you remember, if you can remember back to that sermon, Uh, I said we need to pray for the power and strength of the Spirit. I hope you've been praying this prayer. But it would be wrong for us to reduce the Spirit to some sort of spiritual fuel like petrol because the Holy Spirit is not an it. He is a person. We know that because at the end of chapter 4, we are told not to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And when you think about that, you realize the only thing that is able to experience grief is a living uh, being. Impersonal things can't experience grief. A force can't experience a grief, which means that the Holy Spirit of God is not an impersonal force or energy. He is a person. And he is a person in his own right, the third person of God, uh, together with the Father and the Son, God, whom we know and we kind of abbreviate with the word Trinity. One God, three persons. And yet, though he is a separate person to the Father and the Son, he is not distinct, um, oh, sorry, completely separated because he in Scripture is called the Spirit of Christ or the Spirit of God. If you have the Spirit, you have Christ with you. Uh, Through the Spirit, we have fellowship with God. We have access to God. Okay, so there's a crash course on Trinitarian theology. Now, so therefore, Mike and Alex, when I say be filled with the Spirit, does that help? Massively. (laughs) Okay. All right. So what do we do with this? Be filled with the Spirit. It's a command, right? So we are expected to do something. It's a continual command. It's something we're expected to keep on doing every single day. But it's a passive command, meaning it's not something that we just go out and do ourselves. It's not like stand up, sit down. It's, It's something that we have to be let done to us. We need help, we can't do it ourselves, but we also need to allow this actively to happen to us. And picking up on that idea that we need help, a clearer and better translation, instead of be filled by the Spirit, 
oh, sorry, would be infilled by, be, sorry, instead of be filled with the Spirit, a better translation is actually be filled by the Spirit, implying that it's actually the Spirit who will do this work in us. It's he who fills us up. Okay, so how do we be filled by the Spirit? So Christians have come up with lots of different possibilities over the years. Is it by being baptised? Is that the moment? Is it uh, being baptised again with a second baptism? Well, those are kind of one-off events, aren't they? And this is something we're continually meant to do. And also in chapter 4, verse 5, it says there's one baptism, right? Okay, so is it by speaking in tongues? Is it by doing that? Is it by opening ourselves up to being able to listen to God's promptings? Is it by immersing ourselves in the singing experience, which is, for us, a little challenging at the moment? There have been lots of answers uh, presented to this question of how. All of us understand the desire, don't we? Uh, Every Christian longs for a more intimate, more personal experience and knowledge of God. That's why Paul prays in chapter one, God would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we would know him better, that God would open the eyes of our hearts, that we would be strengthened to know the limitless dimensions of Christ's love. We, this is a right and appropriate desire for us to have and something we should pray for. But how, how does it happen? How do we be filled by the spirit? I mean, we need to know how, don't we, because When we don't have clarity on that, you can get to a situation where some people in a church can be claimed to be be more filled with the Spirit, to be closer to God. They are the ones whose spirits really are in align with the Spirit of God, and therefore they're operating on a kind of higher plane of Christianity. And then if that happens, The consequence is often a new sort of legalism then emerges which insists that worship or closeness to God happens through them imitating them and hey presto, without trying, a new wall of division has been raised which Christ died to bring down. That is so damaging in a church. Ephesians has been very clear. Every Christian has God's spirit So at the end of chapter two, verse 22, in Christ we are being built to become a temple in which God dwells by his spirit. And how do you receive the spirit in the first place? Um, Well, in chapter one, verse 13, we receive God's spirit when we hear the word of truth and we believe the gospel. So when the gospel's explained to you and you place your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's at that moment that you receive the spirit of God. So every believer has the spirit, all of him. We don't just have part of him, right? We have all of him. So why do we need to be told to be filled with the spirit if we have all of him? Well, the answer is, though we have all of him, he may not have all of us. What do I mean? He is the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. And remember, back to chapter three, Uh, The prayer is that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. God would strengthen us in our inner being so Christ would put down his roots in every part of our lives, that he would be Lord in every part of our lives, that we would be filled up to the measure of the fullness of God as he takes charge of the whole lot. Okay, so we need to be filled up with the Spirit, by the Spirit. Okay, now how? 
How are we filled by the Spirit? The answer is not what you'd expect. <laughs> the answer has been given three times in the passage. I don't know if you picked it up. The answer is by walking. Okay, stick with me. Now, every second Thursday night, Marty Fox takes a group of guys from this church walking. It's up Thursday night, isn't it, Marty? Yep, 7.30 outside Marty's place, and we'll go for a walk, okay? Now, in the dark, right, you can't really see one another. You know each other's there, <laughs> okay, but we still walk together, and you will know from your own walking experience the companionship you experience when you walk together with someone. You share the journey together, you talk together, you are keeping step with one another, you have fellowship. Okay, it is like this with the Spirit. Galatians 5.22, another of Paul's letters, he tells us to keep in step with the Spirit. A walking metaphor. Here in Ephesians 5, three times, we are told to walk with God. These are the major structural divisions in this bit. So chapter 5, verse 1, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love. Now, if you were here last week, you'll remember that Paul Harrington said that sometimes the word that's translated live in the, new, in the NIV version of the Bible is actually the Greek word walk. I know why the translators did it. The idea is um, an active word, it really is walk, but it's the idea as you walk through life, as you live, as you actively go through life, you know, do these things. So that, that's the reason for the translation. But chapter five, verse one, walk in the way of love. Chapter five, verse eight, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Chapter five, verse 15, be very careful then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So there's, in this passage, we've got one command, be filled. You've got three exhortations to walk. And that is how we're filled, by walking with God. That is, by consciously choosing, as we walk through the day, to walk in awareness of God, to walk in fellowship with God, to walk in alignment with God, in conscious cooperation with his spirit who is with us. That is to go through your day not having cross purposes or cross paths to the clear direction of the Spirit, not sinning against God, not violating His clear will for your life, not trying to walk alone, but no, actively, consciously walking with Him. Now, if that's a bit vague, clarity comes by seeing three times how we are to walk and three times how we're not to walk. So we have three green lights and three red lights. Are you ready? So we're told, walk in love, not lust. Walk in light, not darkness. Walk in wisdom, not foolishness. Three ways to walk, three ways not to walk. So let's go through them. First of all, walk in Love, not lust, verses one to eight. As you walk through your day, walk in love. Now that doesn't mean that you need to you know, feel absolutely in love with every person in the world as you walk through your day. How exhausting would that be? How, how could you do that? You'd explode. Okay, <laughs> verse two tells us to walk in the way of love. 
the way that Christ loved us by giving himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So he was sacrificial in what he did for us. He saw that sacrifice, that sacrifice of himself as an offering to God. That's the way of love. Walk in the way of love like that. Uh, do that and you'll be filled with the Spirit or filled by the Spirit because you are imitating Christ and you're letting him change your life, okay? Here's what's not uh, being filled with the Spirit, being captive to porn. So when it says in verse three, but among you there must, be, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality, the word is porneia, from which we get the word pornography. Um, it's a catch-all term for all sexual activity outside of marriage. Okay, so what is this? It's voyeurism, which is the scourge of our age, but it's more than voyeurism. It's sexual behaviour, activity, sexual intercourse outside of marriage. There mustn't be even a hint of that among us. Nor, he says, any kind of impurity, nor any kind of greed, because these things are improper for God's holy people. It's interesting that greed is mentioned alongside porn. You know, greed, that insatiable desire for more and more. When you think about it, it's actually porn of the eyes, isn't it? Um, porn of the heart. Oh, look at that. I want this for myself. Similarly, there shouldn't be, he says, um, obscenity in your language, obscene gutter talk, coarse joking. These things are out of place rather than thanksgiving. So Paul tells us what's proper and improper for God's holy people. Walk in, in the, the proper way, not the improper way. That's the way of love. Now, if that isn't enough to get us over the line and motivate us, he actually warns us. He says, you can be sure of this. No one who's immoral or impure or greedy, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And we think, whoa, isn't that a bit extreme, Paul? You know, he says, no. Don't let anyone deceive you with empty words saying otherwise. Because it's because of such things that God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. It's very serious. People go to hell for being sexually immoral and impure and greedy. It's deadly serious. So how are you going? Um, you squirming because you feel uncovered. Or are you confused and unsettled because you're wondering, does this mean if someone who's been forgiven by God um, sins in this way that they could lose what they've got and end up in hell? Well, have a look at verse seven. Um, who are the people, the sexually immoral, the impure, the greedy, the idolaters, who are they people? They're unbelievers. He's saying, look, do not be partners with them. So he's speaking to the Christians and saying, don't be partners with them, the sexually immoral, the impure, the greedy. In other words, he's saying it's really important to see, this is not you, okay? It's not your identity. If you're forgiven by God and belong to him, then who you are, verse one, is children of God who are dearly loved by the Father. You've got to know who you are. 
And God in Christ has forgiven you out of deep compassion for you and Christ has given himself up for you out of love and these are the family values, that deep compassion and that self-sacrificial service. So walk in the way of love, not lust, which is so out of place as is impurity, as is greed. You are not these things, he's saying. You are not the stuff of wrath. God has forgiven you. You are his dearly loved children. So walk in accordance with who you are, imitating your father, right? Show the family likeness. Be his children. That's who you are. And that is the first way to be filled by the spirit as the dearly loved children of God walk in love, not lust. Now, the second way of walking takes us further. Walk in light, not darkness. Again, it begins with who we are. This is so important. He says, do not be partners with the immoral, the impure, the greedy. Why? Verse 8, because you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. It's, it's so important to know who you are because then you know how to behave, how to walk, how to live. He says, you are light in the Lord, so walk as children of light, because the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. This is what comes out, you see. And find out what pleases the Lord. Now here, he's added to what we first said, walk in love, not lust. The metaphor now is light, not darkness. What, what's, what's been added? Well, the thing about being in the light is that everything now is plain to see. Um, Eight days ago, I went to Craig Broman's 60th birthday. Craig works with Engage Work Faith, formerly worked with City Bible Forum, right? So it was his 60th birthday. It was lovely to have Merle, his wife, get up and say, with Craig, what you see is what you get, you know? Um, as he is to the guests, oh, can you have another cup of tea? Look at this, it's amazing. You know, you should see this, amazing. You know, oh, you know, another Portuguese tart, please, you know? He said, he's, he's like that with me. It's not just you, with me. You know, every night she goes to bed and he's, all, he's snuck in and turned on the electric blanket. She hasn't seen him do that. She thinks maybe it'll be cold. No, it's always there. Can I get you another cup of tea, Merle? You know, he's just, what you see is what you, consistency, right? Public and private life. He's consistent. He's man walking in the light. So in the light, your behavior is in full view. It's like when the family is together around the kitchen table, talking, eating, doing homework, whatever, versus when everyone is shut away in their bedrooms or worse still in their dark cupboards looking at who knows what on their mobile phones. Okay? We are not children of dark cupboards. We are children of the light. So walk as children of the light, not those of darkness. And he says, find out what pleases the Lord, which makes you think you need to do an internet search or a, you know. Um, no, no, no. The sense of that is confirm for yourselves that what pleases the Lord is really a good path to take. Find out that it's, it's great. So see for yourselves that there is joy in obedience and then you'll avoid a whole lot of mess and misery that you otherwise might have um, gone down the path of. Let, let's think of swearing, right? He mentions obscenity, talk. Before I became a Christian at high school, you might be um, surprised to realize that I was a foul-mouthed young man. I'm ashamed to say my swearing was habitual. It's how my friends related to one another, which was actually really demeaning. It was gross. 
It was rude, it was coarse, and in fact, I remember not liking the person that I'd turned into. So I remember thinking, you know, if I was someone else and I was trying to look and ask, would I want me as a friend, I'd probably say no. I didn't like who I'd turned into. And then I became a Christian. Now, when I became a Christian, some things changed straight away, but some things didn't, and swearing was one of those, because it was so deep, right? So it took a year of conscious effort, okay, walking with God, to break that swearing habit and to clean up not just the way I spoke, but the way I thought, because there's a connection. God changed not just my behavior, but my thinking. And I began to think more wholesomely of people, right? I saw for myself that what pleased the Lord was a much better way to live. And the wonderful thing about being forgiven by God is that you know that God knows the black spots, right? Um, But God has washed you clean. And we've already been told you are not those who are immoral or impure or rude or greedy. Okay, but now I know some of you are thinking, yeah, but what if I've dabbled and what if actually I feel trapped? Okay, you're God's dearly loved child but you've walked down the path of porneia or impurity or greed or filthy talk and you feel like you can't break free. What then? Well, verse 11 tells us to have nothing to do with the fruitful deeds of darkness, fruitless deeds of darkness, beg your pardon, but rather expose them. That is, if there are some people here struggling with such sins, those sins need to be brought out of darkness into the light to be dealt with. Now, nationally, in churches, the dark, horrific sin of child abuse has been brought into the light, and it's been dealt with. Praise God, right? It's not to say it won't ever happen again, but it's part of the public consciousness and part of our consciousness, and we're doing everything we can to guard ourselves against it. Praise God, this is right and wholesome and proper, okay? And now what needs to happen is the same thing needs to happen with porn, okay? Now, I I heard a stat this week that amongst Bible-believing Christians, every month, 65% of men will view porn and 15% of women will, which means that, and I've got no way to verify that stat, I don't know if it's inflated or not, right? But it just means we need to talk about it. It's an issue, okay? We need not to hide it, it needs to be brought into the light. Um, And I can say, therefore, that it's likely that some people here are trapped in this particular sin. Um, Well, verse 11 says, needs to be exposed, And then it says, verse 12, it's shameful to mention even what the disobedient do in secret. So there's a tension now between verse 11 and 12. Expose the deeds of darkness, but talking about that is shameful. So what's this saying? Is it saying we need to conduct a Spanish Inquisition? You know, rack, thumbscrews, you know, not the Spanish Inquisition. Um, Okay, do we need to haul people out, you know, force a confession out of them or something? No, okay, not at all. It is saying that people who are caught in habitual sins of darkness need help to escape. And that will mean that one or two people at church probably need to draw alongside that person and remind them of who they are 
and talk about their sin and talk about when they are tempted and encourage them to be accountable and pray with them. Okay? So, think of porn. Okay? Now, it's so easily accessible. It's probably people's shameful secret. We know that it rewires the brain. You get a dopamine rush. Okay? So it's highly addictive. It changes the way that men think about women and how men and women think about sex. It destroys relationships. So secular marriage counsellors will say that their experience in a marriage counselling situation when uh, normally a, a wife has found out that her husband has been viewing porn, uh, that the damage on her is as extensive as if she had discovered he had been having an adulterous affair. So it's not minor, it's major, and it destroys relationships. And it causes people to hate themselves. And all the research shows that it can only be dealt with by accountability, a radical change of behaviour. And I would add, and the Spirit of God. Uh, I think there is great hope, right? If you're addicted to porn, I want to tell you that who you are is not someone in darkness. You might have dark behaviours, but I want to say that by God's grace, you are not that person. Who you are is a child of light, not darkness. And therefore, I want to do what Paul does and call you to come into the light. Come out of darkness because that is not you. Okay? Verse 13, but everything exposed by light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. So if you are stuck, I do want to say very clearly there is a way out, there is hope, okay? And it may be that you've tried to break the habit yourself and then have fallen back into it, okay? But I want to say you can get out of it. But you do need help, right? It needs to be dealt with. Um, so therefore, if that's you, um, Mark and I would love to get a very discreet text or an email saying, I'd just like to talk. I can guarantee that we will not judge you, we will not slander you, we will not dump on you, we will not say how could you, we will not gossip about you, okay, we will draw alongside you and help you, all right? I want you to know that there is light at the end of the tunnel, you can get out. Okay, so be filled by the Spirit by walking in love as Christ's dearly loved children. Be filled by the Spirit by walking in light as children of light. Okay, but given the strength of sin and how much temptation is around, should we just retreat? <laughs> um, should we just join a monastery or make a monastery or something? Uh, cloistered off from the world. Um, this is in fact what led to monasteries. They, they saw so much worldliness around them that they thought we should cut ourselves off. Okay, um, flee worldliness and temptation. And I'm kind of sympathetic with that, that desire. I not with the result, but that desire. Jesus never said retreat from the world. He said be in the world, but not of the world. Okay, so how do you do it? Third point. Be filled by the Spirit by walking in wisdom, not foolishness. Verse 15, it says, be very careful how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Verse 17, not being foolish, but understanding what the Lord's will is. 
Wisdom here is understanding the Lord's will, which you get by immersing yourself in God's word. Last month, um, I had a friend who on Facebook sent out a call saying, who out there would like to read through the Bible in three months? And I said, absolutely I would. Now, what that has meant, so I'm a month in, right? So I'm up to Job. We had, yesterday, I had 18 chapters of Job, fairly heavy meat, right? But, but um, so I, I'm not getting much time for other reading at the moment, it's just that. But I have to say, sitting in the Word of God to that extent, um, sort of crash course, it, it, it does help me think God's thoughts. I, I'm not saying I'm there yet, but it's, it's helpful, right? Um, immersing yourself in God's Word is doing that. But of course, knowledge alone isn't wisdom. We skipped over verse 16. Verse 16 tells us how to be wise. Be very careful how you walk, not as, not as unwise, but as wise. How? Making the most of every opportunity, literally redeeming the time, buying it back. Why? Because the days are evil. The days are evil. This is talking about um, the age in which we live, between Christ's first and second coming. The days are evil. They're not neutral. And our world is not neutral, spiritually neutral. Uh, in chapter 2, verse 2, we're told that all unbelievers are ruled by uh, the, the God of this world, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, Satan. So the spiritual condition of our world today, of our times, is not good, it's not neutral, it's evil. And therefore, we should not be surprised that every single day we are bombarded with thousands of temptations which want to divert us from our walk with God. No surprise there. And that's the world we live in. And living in it and not being ensnared by sin requires walking with wisdom, not foolishness, which means being filled with the Spirit. Well, how do you get filled with the Spirit, by the Spirit? Well, first of all, you need to know who you are, don't you? God's dearly loved children, children not of darkness, but of light, that's who you are. And then you've got to every day, say today is a great day to walk in conscious cooperation with the Spirit of God who is in me and walking alongside of me. I'm not going to ignore him, I'm not going to go counter purposes, cross purposes, I'm not gonna go backwards, I'm going to walk with him and you consciously do it. You walk in the way of love, not lust. You walk in the light, not darkness. You walk with wisdom as to the spiritual condition of the world and the spiritual condition of you. Next week, we'll see what the characteristic results of being filled with the Spirit are. Um, first up is speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, the, the end of our passage. Singing and making music in your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks to the Father for everything. Um, instead of coarse, joking, obscenity, foolish talk, so much wholesome stuff can come out, can't it? Not just for ourselves, but for other people. But for now, we redeem the time. Each day we get up and we think, you know, today could be a day for giving into temptation, but I'm not gonna let Satan get the upper hand. I'm gonna redeem the time. I'm gonna walk in the light. And with the help of God's spirit who is in me every step of the way, I'm going to make today a day where I show out Christ's character and I live Christ's actions. That's gonna be me today. Okay.
So if you find yourself alone with your scream, are you gonna view something that causes grief to the Holy Spirit? No, of course you're not. You're gonna say, no, I'm gonna cooperate with him in what I view or in what I talk. Okay, will I choose to be obscene? No, of course I won't. I'll be pure in my speech, I'll redeem the time. Okay, illustration. Um, I told you speech was the thing that I had to work on when I became a Christian. When I was at uni, um, I remember in the Christmas holidays, uh, we went walking in the Blue Mountains kind of version of the Heisen Trail, that's the eight-foot track, goes through the national, you know, extensive national park, and we were some hours into the bushwalk, and we came down to a semi-dry riverbed, and we had to take off our shoes, and we were jumping from boulder to boulder, and with immense energy, my big toe collided with a granite boulder, you know, and I was with everyone, and then, you know, what came out of my mouth was pretty just raw, and what came out of my mouth was something like this, something like that. But my friend, whom I had been working on trying to share my faith for a long time, and he, he, he was studying philosophy, he was very smart, he was smarter than me, and you know, he'd write these papers that i just try and struggle to understand and sort of could, but you know, he, you know, he was sort of interested in God, but you know, it was, anyway, at that point he said, that's the moment when I would have expected something different to come out of your mouth. <laughs> so it must be real. Okay, you redeem the time by walking, not in foolishness, but with wisdom. The people watch, they, they, they know what you do, and they watch by your behavior, by your speaking, you can redeem the time. Okay, so be very careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. So, David and Kathy. Mike and Alex, Paul, Gemma, Paul and Anne, Sev, Leah, Holly, Tim, Alicia, Abby, Warren, Joseph, Tom, Cam, Bev, Mark, Narelle, Rachel, Joel, Phil and Julie, Carolyn, Steve, Natalie, Cher, Mike, Carol, Angie. Be filled with the Spirit. Walking knowing who we are, children loved by God, children of the light, not of darkness. Walking in the way of love, not lust. Walking in light, not darkness. Walking in wisdom, not foolishness. Walking in conscious cooperation and companionship with the Spirit of God. This is to be filled by the Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. Amen.